Good morning, church. So, about a month ago, I talked about missions and what God is doing and what He's called us to. And if you go to Woods Edge and you were not there that Sunday, I'm asking you as your pastor, would you please go online and find it and listen to it? Because I just want us all to be on the same page, and God's doing some incredible things. But one of those specific things that I mentioned was our work in Malawi. That's uh, a kind of southeastern Africa, small, very poor country. And we've been involved with them for 15 years. And by God's grace, God has used some partner ministries that we've got and a dear Malawi pastor over there. And we have seen a movement in the villages of Malawi, people coming out of uh, witchcraft and a syncretism and, and coming to the gospel, and the chiefs are leading it. And, and think in these villages, like a, a hundred or two hundred people in the village, and this is what happens, is that the chief comes to Christ, and he leads the village to Christ, and he goes and disciples other chiefs, and it's just exciting. It's a preliterate society in the villages, mostly, and so they need audio Bibles. And so we have been sending them audio Bibles, or taking audio Bibles for some time, and right now we're, we're getting them for $30, and they list the audio Bibles, and there's some discipleship plans with that. But uh, a month ago, I said, you know, we need to send, there's so many villages that don't have the Bible. And so we need to send 3,000. That's going to cost $90,000. I ask you that in addition to your regular normal giving here at your church home, would, would, could we just raise some extra money? And you raised not 90, but $107,000. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. So I'm not surprised. Y'all are so generous the work of God, it's because you love Jesus. So thank you for all you do. All right. So there's a young couple in our church that some of you know, Trent and Lindsey Miller. Trent is the head football coach, even though he's very young, he's the head football coach at Spring High School, very large high school nearby. And Lindsey is a teacher at College Park High School that way. And two years ago this month, Trent and Lindsey lost their two-year-old daughter, Sadie, in a tragic accident. And I can remember it was late afternoon when the family reached me because I've known this family, uh, had known this family well. And, and I heard that it was life and death situation. So Gail and I immediately go to the emergency room. And, and I'll never forget going in that emergency room, Trent and Lindsay in there. I think one or two other family members were in there by that time. And, uh, and there, you know, on the the hospital bed, the emergency room bed, is precious, the precious body of little Sadie, beautiful Sadie, who had already gone home to be with, be with the Lord. And you can imagine all the pain and pathos in that room and the emotion, of course. And we must have been in the room uh, with the family for a couple of hours. A and then uh, it was time to leave. They took the body uh, away, and it was time for us to leave. And, and, and I can remember uh, walking with Trent and Lindsay and the immediate family members, you know, out of their emergency room quarters into the waiting room. And, and I saw a sight that I had not seen in my 40 years as a pastor. Walked in the emergency room and, and the emergency room, I mean the waiting room of the emergency room. And the waiting room was full of people, dozens and dozens and dozens of people. And this is what had happened. You know, both being teachers at, at high schools, uh, the word had spread that about Sadie, and, and they just couldn't stay at home when their close friends, Trent and Lindsay, were going through this, and, and they just migrated on their home. They just migrated up to the waiting room and just were waiting there. 
just waiting there, just wanted to be near them. And I can remember uh, Trent and Lindsay, they're, they're down here in front, and Trent and Lindsay, when we walked out there, just all of them there, and, and we just sort of gathered all together, and we just prayed and committed this to the Lord. Now, that was two years ago, and, and since then, I, I have uh, kept contact with Trent and Lindsay. I've asked them to regularly stop by when I'm, where I stand out there and say hello to me, and we often talk and pray briefly. Uh, two years ago this month, and, and this is what I've seen. I've seen a, a couple that in the midst of horrific pain, horrific loss, they have resolutely determined they're going to trust the Lord. And, and because they've, they've got it deep in their hearts that God is God and they're not, and that God is going to redeem this situation. He's going to bring good, and they're going to see their precious Sadie again. And I'm going to say a bit more about it during the service. But they model what our psalm, Psalm 62, that we're going to look at today is calling us to, that God is our rock in the storms of life. He is our refuge. He is our salvation, our deliverer, no matter what we're going through. And he will see us through. And they have found that God's got this. God's got this. And, and some of you know Trinley, some of you don't. And after the service, I'm going to have them stand over there because there's a lot of other families in our church who, who've lost kids and lost spouses and lost loved ones, close to loved ones. And, and I just want them to be available uh, to meet some of you. God will have some of you prompted. But Trent Lindsay, would you just stand right there so you can see who they are? This is Trent Lindsay Miller. Just, just say hello to him by, with a little clap and a hand And um, thank you. After the service, I'm going to ask them to stand over there. So Psalm 62 speaks not just to the loss of a child or a loved one, but to all of the heartaches of life. I mean, it, it speaks to when you hear the diagnosis cancer. It speaks to when a spouse has abandoned you and betrayed you. It speaks to when uh, you're struggling with depression or some mental disease or some debilitating physical pain or, or when you've lost a job and you're not sure how you're going to you know, provide financially. Uh, all the ins and outs and the challenges of life, they're part of life in a fallen world. I mean, we're not in heaven yet. Um, Psalm 62 reminds us of what Trent and Lindsay have discovered about God. He is our rock and our fortress. He is our salvation and our refuge, and we can trust Him. And so I'm going to read this brief psalm. Would you stand with me as I read it? Would you stand in honor of God's Word as I read Psalm 62? Hear David's heart of trust. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath, those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. 
If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Church, this is God's holy word. Please be seated. So Psalm 62 is calling you and me to wait upon the Lord in the trials of life. The reason Psalm 62 is in here is not so that we can learn a historical story about David, but it is so that you and I would do what David did when life is overwhelming and we're devastated. We too will find that God is a rock and a refuge for us, and we can trust Him. He begins right at the outset in verse 1 when he says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. He is so overwhelmed with his pain that he's just, you know, he's probably poured out his heart to God, and now he's just, just waiting there in silence before God. From him comes my salvation. By the way, when you see the word salvation, or sometimes the verb save, mostly in the New Testament, it refers to salvation from sin, but not always. And mostly in the Old Testament, it does not refer to salvation from sin. The word salvation means deliverance, rescue from it, whatever. And, and for David, mostly in the Psalms, it's rescue from physical enemies who want to kill him. And that's what's going on here in Psalm 62, that we're dealing with a life and death situation. And, and we don't know here if it's Saul and his armies or Absalom, his son, or some foreign army, but there are physical enemies who want David dead. And, and he is saying, God alone, from him comes my salvation. Verse 2, he goes on to say, he alone is my rock and my salvation. So he's repeating the word salvation. He alone is my rock and my deliverer, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaking. And he is saying, oh God, you are my only hope. You're my foundation for life. In the storms of life, when I don't know if I can stand, I've got a solid place to stand. You are my rock and my refuge, and you will deliver me. God and God alone. Just like the, the song we just sang, Christ alone is our hope. God alone is our rock and our refuge. Verse 3 talks about those enemies, and we don't know the exact context, but they want him dead. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. And you may not have enemies that, that want you dead, but maybe, maybe you, some of you do. But uh, <laughs> you've got enemies who bless with their mouths and curse inwardly. We all do. But whether or not it's physical enemies, we too face the storms and the heartaches of life, and we too must wait upon God to rescue us and deliver us, and that's why this psalm is here, so that you and I, in the challenge that we're going through today, right now, this morning, whatever it is, the biggest challenge of your life, God is, is asking us, you do what David did, you, you trust in me alone. Don't be trusting in other things because I alone am your God. Trust in me. So whatever you're going through. Now, when it comes to waiting upon God, who here 
uh, show of hands, who here enjoys waiting? <laughs> you know, we don't want to wait in the line at H-E-B. You know, I'm scanning that line, 1 through 16. Where's the shortest line? And when I'm, you know, pulling up to Chick-fil-A, okay, which is the shortest line? Oh, it's way too long. I mean, in the computer, you know, come on, come on, let's go. Uh, we don't like waiting. And yet when it comes to the spiritual life, our relationship with God, uh, all through the Bible, we talk about waiting upon God. That is, we're waiting, we're trusting, we're looking to God. And it is in the very process of waiting that God is shaping your soul and building faith and building uh, gratitude and dependence and desperateness. It is in the waiting that we learn Christ-like character and Christ-like faith, and we don't like that waiting. I mean, can you imagine if we never waited upon God and, and, and whatever we wanted, we got it right then? Uh, there'd be a couple of huge problems with that. One is that we would ask for some dumb stuff, and, uh, and it'd be bad. Uh, but, but also, I mean, just think about it. What, what if if God just gave you everything that you wanted right when you wanted it, boy, you think pretty soon, man, you're Aladdin and he's a genie. And, uh, you know, you're just commanding the genie. He is not a genie you command. He is the sovereign Lord that we obey. And we worship and we submit before him and trust him and say, oh, God, I don't understand this, but you are my God and I will trust you. I will trust you. You know, I'm amazed at how many children that we have lost as a church and how many we lose. It's just, it's so often, so happens so often and other loved ones. You know, David understands he lost three children during his lifetime. And it's not just the loss of a loved one, you know, which is just about off the charts for us, but all kinds of challenges. What are you going through? Does it involve a relationship? Are you single and you'd love to be married? Are you married and you'd love for a breakthrough in the marriage? Um, what, would you love to have a child and this never happened? Do you have some uh, quagmire going on at work and you need God to deliver you? What are you challenging? Is it an addiction? Is it depression? What, what are you going through that you need to wait upon God and trust in God for? And, and if you're, you know, you don't have anything to wait upon God, maybe you've got the biggest problem of all. Because you don't realize how desperate you really are. And you need to be made more like Jesus Christ, I can tell you. One, one writer put it this way. He said, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. God is shaping us in the waiting. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? When you're devastated and overwhelmed, it means that you're trusting that God sees you that he cares about you, that he can deliver you in his time and in his way, not in your time and in your way. Waiting on God doesn't mean you're in charge here, and he's the genie. It means he's the Lord, and you are surrendering to him. The posture of someone waiting on God is not that of control, but that of surrender. It's that of surrender. Waiting on God means you refuse to to. to to give up on God and become bitter in the waiting. It means that you understand that you are a tiny little creature compared to the infinite sovereign God. And how in the world could you expect to understand all that a sovereign infinite God does and allows? And you're choosing to wait upon him and look to him. 
you recognize that, you know, it's probably not going to all make sense to you in this life. But that one day, one day in heaven, it will all make sense. And you're going to say, oh, yes, God was faithful to me every step of the way. And you will so have longed that you would have trusted him now. When is your only opportunity to live by faith and to trust your God? Waiting on God means you don't resort to manipulation and taking things into your own hands and kind of doing things. Remember Abraham when he was waiting on a child and he says, well, you know, I've got to, you know, have a child through Hagar, my servant. You know, he's, he's, he's turned into non-biblical ways and God's not going to bless that. If you're waiting, if, if you love to be married, that's a great thing, love to be married, but you're not going to, you're going to wait on God's person. And you're going to marry in the Lord. You're not going to marry a non-Christian and rationalize that. But you're going to wait upon God. What are you waiting on this morning before God? What are you looking to for, for God to come through for you? Pastor John Ordberg tells a wonderful story about a Catholic priest and writer, a well-known Catholic priest and writer, Henry Nowen. Died a few years ago. Some of you read Henry Nowen. And Henry Nowen had some friends who were trapeze artists. They were the flying rudillas. And um, this story that they told him about trapeze artistry, they said, uh, there is a flyer and there's a catcher. And the flyer is the one who's, you know, swinging on the swing thing and uh, the bar. And at some point, the flyer's got to let go. And he swings through the air, the barrier, not hanging on to anything. And the catcher is the one who grabs him and catches him. And he was explaining to the Rodellas that um, the, the flyer, there comes a moment when you've got to let go and you've got to wait in absolute trust that the catcher will catch you. And he said the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. But he's just got to wait. You are the flyer. God is the catcher, and he never misses. He will grab you. And some of you are, are probably still flying through the air right now. And it's fe feeling pretty scary up there. But God will catch you every time. What are you trusting God for this morning that only God can do? Now, when David comes to verse 5, he basically repeats verse 1. And I asked our team to put it on the screen so you could see it, what he's doing here. Verse 1, we read, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. And then in verse 5, notice the little difference. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. Now he's speaking to himself. First he said, you know, my soul waits in silence, and now he's speaking to his soul. He's saying, look, soul, it's, a, it's you talking to yourself. Do you know that you need to talk to yourself because you hear all these voices in your head, and sometimes they're not of God, and sometimes you need to speak biblical truth to yourself. Oh, my soul, Jeff, look, you wait on God. Talk some sense rather than that nonsense. Soul, wait upon God. Let all my hope come from him. And then in verse 6, the next verse, he repeats verse 2, almost verbatim. 
Verse 2 said, He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Verse 6 is a tad stronger. He only, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. And then verse 7 emphasizes that point. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. And David is saying both in verse 2 and then in verse 6 that he cannot be shaken because God is his God. Now, church, what would it mean to live your whole life knowing nothing can touch you for any final harm? It means that you cannot be intimidated. You can live life unafraid because God is your rock and your salvation. And whatever happens, he's going to redeem it. I mean, that makes all the difference in the world. I can tell you, for Trent and Lindsay, if they did not have the hope of the gospel, they did not have the assurance that they would see Sadie, their daughter, again in heaven, it would change everything for them. And they are not shaken. They, their hearts were broken and are broken, but they are not finally shaken. And that's the way you and I can live. When you and I face the heartaches of life, we ought to respond different than the non-Christian neighbors on our street or the non-Christians in our work. Whether or not there are huge things like this or even smaller things. When your car completely breaks down, you've got to spend another $3,000 on it. That ought to affect you a little differently than your non-Christian neighbors. You can't be shaken because God's got this. He's going to catch you. He's going to take care of you. I can't be shaken. Four months after... Sadie went home to the Lord. Lindsay had a very powerful experience. And she blogged about it. And I can remember her telling me about this shortly after it happened. And uh, this week I said, uh, Lindsay, would you please email me that? And this is what she wrote in her blog. She said, Lord, I asked you for protection over my kids, but Sadie wasn't protected. By the way, always be honest with God. Pour out your heart before him. And she's writing in her blog, Lord, Lord, I asked you to protect Sadie and you didn't protect her. She said, before I could finish my sentence, I immediately heard God's voice. She doesn't need to be protected from heaven. She belongs here. And Lindsay immediately realized and wrote in her blog, wow, you are so right, God. And she went on to write, October 23rd, 2017, changed the way I looked at his protection in regards to the accident. And then she wrote these words. She said, who would want to be protected from heaven? Not me. And that is something that only comes to the person of faith who knows that God has got this. He's got this. Now, four times in this psalm, David underscores that his trust is in God alone. Verse 1, for God alone my soul waits in silence. Verse 2, for he alone is my rock and my salvation. Verse 5, for God alone, oh, my soul wait in silence. Verse 6, he alone is my rock and my salvation. Now, why is David so emphatic? Because he has learned in his life that nothing else is big enough to trust. Nothing else is big enough for a human being to trust and a mortal soul to trust in the storms of life. And this is what we want to trust. We want to trust in some other person or in our wealth 
or in our abilities or in our hard work. We want to trust in something else. But David says, I have learned that God alone can be trusted. Some of you this morning, you are trusting some human being to fill your soul. Maybe you're single and you're thinking that if I just get married, that man or that woman will meet all of my needs. And that is not true. Or maybe you're, you're married and thinking, just, just, you know, if my spouse would do this differently, then everything would be okay. That's not true. And God alone is my trust. He alone can fulfill my soul. Now, you and I also have an extra challenge because like David, but unlike most people in history, uh, those of us who live in affluent America, just about all of us, we've got money. And we're not day-to-day for food. And um, it is so, it is too easy to trust in your bank account and your retirement and your wealth. Now, nothing wrong with money. It's a good tool. But don't trust in it. It will fly like the wind. Only God can fulfill our souls. And David hits this hard. And God alone, or as we sang, in Christ alone. We wait. So, church, watch the message of Psalm 62. Trust in God alone. Wait for God alone in the storms of life. Put all of your trust in God. Now, at times, this means, of course, calling out to God and praying to God. But it's interesting that twice we have read about waiting in silence. Sometimes it means that we need to close our mouths and just be silent before God and in a listening posture. I don't know about you, but I'm not real good at silence. Man, for, for the first 35 years of my 45-year spiritual life, I, you know, I hardly ever was silent before God. Man, I just blabbing away. And um, it is a very good thing for us at times just to be quiet before God. My soul waits in silence. Be still and know that I am God. One thing that I have begun to do in my daily time with the Lord, praying and reading the Bible, is is just every day I'll do this at some point, and I'll just say, Lord, is there anything that I need to know today from you? And I'll be quiet. And it's hard to be quiet. I'd rather talk, but I'll be quiet. And, And sometimes, most days, I feel like God will impress me with something, and I'll jot it down in my iPad journal. Do you do that? Start doing that. If you pray a half hour, take five minutes. If you pray an hour, take five minutes, ten minutes, and just be quiet. My soul waits in silence. Richard Foster, in his superb book, Celebration of Discipline, says one reason we can barely heart, we can heart, I'm going to tell you, uh, he's going to tell us why silence is so hard for us. He says one reason we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel so helpless. We are so accustomed to relying upon words to manage and control others. If we are silent, who will take control? God will take control. But we will never let him take control until we trust him. Silence is intimately related to trust. It's part of the waiting is at times we're silent. Sometimes we, we call, cry out, sometimes we're silent. So times of listening and silence. Mother Teresa put it this way. God will only speak to us in silence. Silence of the heart, not only of the mouth. Did you you get that distinction? I can barely do silence of the mouth. 
silence of the heart is near, nearly impossible. But I'm learning, oh God, what do I need to hear from you? God only speaks in silence of the heart. She continues, everything begins with prayer that is born in silence of our hearts. Kierkegaard, the Danish Christian philosopher, 1800s, I think, he, uh, he said, if I were a doctor and were allowed just one remedy to prescribe for all the ills of the modern world, I would prescribe silence. What if he lived a day in the world of these and the iPhones and the screens and the televisions? Whoa. Or the most powerful statement I think I know on silence comes from the French philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal. Get this. All man's miseries derive from not being able to sit quiet in a room alone. Silence. Wait in silence. Close your mouth. Open your ears. Lord, what do I need to know? What do I need to hear from you? So Psalm 62 is calling us again and again. It's not calling David. David's already lived through it. He's calling you. The Spirit of God's calling you right now, today, in your struggles and challenges of life. Wait on me alone. Trust in me alone. Not in your abilities. Not in your hard work. Not in your network. God might use some of those things, but don't trust in them. Trust in me. You've got a great challenge all of you affluent people out there, it is hard to have much money and not trust in it. Refuse to put your trust in money and things and determine and resolve, Lord, that'll be a good tool, but all my hope is in you to fill my heart. All my hope is in you, Lord. Now, verse 8 says, trust in him at all times, that is only God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So that's interesting. It's not just silence. It's not only silence. There are times you pour out your heart. I mean, you don't hold back. You're pouring out your heart. Oh, God, rescue me. God, what's going on here? Lord, help me. Deliver me. You pour out your heart. Sometimes there's silence, and sometimes you're pouring out your heart. Now David comes... And he's been talking about trusting God alone, and now he's going to mention the two things that we humans tend to trust in besides God, people and money. Watch it. Watch it in verse 9. Verse 9, he says, he's talking about people. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balance, they go up because they're so lightweight, they just can't hold the balance. The balance is here. People just go up. And the balances, they go up. They are all together, they're together lighter than a breath. Look at the person around you. Go ahead, look to the left, look to the right. That person is but a breath. They are not worthy of you trusting in to fill your soul and to fill your heart and to deliver you and give you the wisdom and the strength that you need. Only God is. They're but a breath. And then, now it comes to money. Put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. I'm tempted to ask for a show of hands, how many of you got some riches that are increasing? Because God is saying to you, you don't have to raise your hands, but I appreciate it. <clears throat> Embarrassing for those who don't raise their hands. 
But uh, listen, that's, that's, that's a lot of you out there. This is what God is saying to you this morning. If your riches are increasing, do not trust in it. They can fly away. Trust in me. Okay, then the beautiful conclusion, verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you are remainder of man according to his work. So do you hear those two things? Power belongs to God. All power in the universe belongs to God. If Putin or Trump or an NFL owner or if Warren Buffett, if anybody else has any power, it is on loan from God. It belongs to God, and he can remove it in a second. And not only that, but all love in the universe, all goodness in the universe, that's from God. Anybody else got some? It's on loan from God. So why would you trust any other thing in the universe because all power is in God's hands, all love is in God's hand. He can do it, and he is good enough to do it. Let's trust him. Power and love are found in God alone. Trust him. Trust him. So let me ask you again this morning for a final time, what are you waiting on this morning? What are you waiting on God for this morning? Something come to mind? relationship, a healing, a breakthrough, a job, a marriage, a child, a breakthrough for a child. What are you waiting on? Trust in God alone. Don't take things into your own hands. Don't resort to non-biblical means and manipulation and, and don't despair and don't give up. But, 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 but trust like Trent and Lindsay have had to trust that God, he, I don't understand it, but I will trust him. And at the end of the day, I will see that God has been good to me. And he's been faithful to me. And he will catch me. He will catch me. Wait on the Lord. Just you wait. Stand with me. So let, let's just pause in silence. Silence of the heart. Lord, what do, what do we need to hear from you? If there's a thought or impression that comes to your mind, receive that from the Lord Lord help us each one to know that we can trust our God that you are faithful that you're good that you're powerful you got this you got it. friend if you're in the room you've never trusted Christ as your savior that is your first step to begin a relationship with God just, it, it begins as simple as just a prayer Jesus come and save me and he will that's, that's, that's the biggest need but whatever you're going through now, God wants you to look to him. Lord, we bless you. In Christ's name.